This podcast is brought to you by public.com, the investing social network. Public is a free app where you can own the companies you believe in and share ideas in a community of investors. There are more than a few investing apps out there, but here's what's different about public. Social features that allow people to share and discover new ideas. The app also supports responsible investing habits, so they don't encourage day trading, nor do they offer margin accounts or options. Features like safety labels on potentially risky stocks give members more complete context. Public has also recently opted out of payment for order flow, so they don't sell your trades to third parties. Public's community is made up of 40% women and 45% people of color, so its members come from all sorts of backgrounds and walks of life. Conversations on public span deep dives into new IPOs, as well as general insights on financial wellness and category trends. You can even use group chats to build investing clubs with your friends. Head over to public.com to sign up and start with a free slice of stock. Then you can get going with as little as $1, and if you're looking to transfer your portfolio over from another brokerage, they'll even cover the fees for accounts valued at over $150. Valid for only U.S. residents 18 years and older and subject to account approval. For more information, see public.com disclosures. Hi, everyone. It's Julie Verhage Greenberg here with your Tux Time podcast from FinTech Today, where we talk about all things FinTech. In this episode, I am joined by Koki Haziotis of Lasagna Technology, who we haven't seen in, what, a week or two, just since we, we've had some special guests. I've been moving. Uh, Koki's been traveling a little bit. Koki, how have you been? I'm good, Jules. How was your move? It was good. It's not completely done yet, but we have some stuff moved in and our movers are arriving sometime this week. So the end is in sight. The road trip itself is done and that was a struggle in itself. So Yeah, I can imagine. And just for our listeners today, um, Tuck seems to be talkative today, so I hope you'll get his input. Um, he's He's got a yeah. lot to say. He loves fintech though, especially, uh, you know, our first story here is on WhatsApp finally getting approved to do peer-to-peer payments in Brazil. And this is something that Facebook, the company that owns WhatsApp, um, has been working on for a while and been turned down by regulators for a variety of reasons. Koki, what what are your thoughts on this? It feels like they might finally be getting some headway here. Yeah. So I always like to caveat questions about Facebook and payments with Facebook payments are never meant for the U.S. market. So um, a lot of what Facebook does behind the scenes in the payment realm is literally for Brazil and India. Um, and, and that's like a long held belief of mine. I like to get it out of the way. However, I will say that I think um, WhatsApp getting a- approval for peer to peer payments uh, in Brazil is like amazing. It's great for the infrastructure of the country. Um, and it's a great way to get money movement. I think if you think about developing economies, peer to peer payments really are like step one to to everything basically um i i use the example of uh kenya nigeria and being the first in mobile payments in the early 2000s um to kind of reinforce that point but yes i think that's really really good for the infrastructure of brazil and i'm excited to see uh how much gets passed through there i'm excited to see the volume yeah, and so the reason you think that Brazil and India is the big opportunity here, just making sure that you know I and the listeners understand it correctly, is just because 
the infrastructure there and the options that people have aren't as great as what they are in more developed countries, right? I actually don't know that I would use those words exactly. I actually think that having less defined infrastructure can create for more seamless customer experience. Um, so in India, of course, uh, there's like basically built out payment rails that are open source that anyone can build on, which is like way better than what we have in the US. It's like uh, just having that flexibility is really important. And I think kind of the same for Brazil. Um, Latin America has long been a driver in fintech, um, often unrecognized driver of fintech globally. Um, but I, I kind of think that opening up to digital solutions before falling back on whatever the mess we have in the U.S. is, can be a really interesting way to leap forward. Yeah, that makes sense. Okay, I'm glad I asked. Um, it is interesting. I mean, Brazil's also, Brazil and India, for that matter, are both massive markets. Huge. Loads of people that would, and a lot of them um, have mobile phones, but don't have a great bank. So being able to do peer-to-peer -peer payments on something like a WhatsApp, I can see being very enticing for that type of an individual. Yeah, absolutely. I think uh, I remember the numbers from years ago, I think, and I might be off, so feel free to call me out. But um, something like 90% of Latin America has a smartphone and something like 30% has a bank account. Um, so like, sorry, but that just adds up to me. <laughs> mm -hmm. No, that makes a lot of sense. I, I would assume that the 30% has gone up a little bit since then, just because we have challenger banks like Nubank coming mm -hmm. in that are making it much easier. But I am I'm 100% positive that your thesis on uh, more people having mobile phones than bank accounts still holds very true. <laughs> yeah, I, those numbers might have been specific to Chile and Mexico, but I, I genuinely can't remember. So let's just ballpark it. That's about right. <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. The the main thesis of more people having mobile phones than bank accounts across Latin America is definitely still true today. And right. I'm, I, I wonder when that actually will change. I think that's more of a, a medium to long-term thing rather than a short-term thing. Yeah. And if I wonder ever. if it needs to change, right? Like with things like the Apple card that are built right into the smartphone experience, like it, is it a pressing matter if people don't have a bank account going forward? Mm -hmm. Totally. Totally. Um, second story here, we're going to stick on the payments theme. There's a company called Ramp, which operates in the same space as what Brex and a couple others do. It basically is a corporate credit card and expense management system. Brex is probably the one in the space that has gotten the most attention because they're founded by two brothers who are ironically from Brazil, <laughs> tying it all together here. Um, and they raised a ton of funding right away. It was, I forget what their valuation and funding is, total is right now, but it was just astronomical at some point. And it was, people were kind of making fun of it. They're like, wait, we don't really understand the business model. Like, how does this even work? You're just like giving startups credit cards and startups fail all the time and, and all this stuff. Um, but Ramp now has raised funding. Stripe participated in the round. Um, I believe we said what D1 Capital also is supposedly leading this new round. And they're closing in on um, just below a $2 billion valuation. Um, I think putting valuation aside, the most interesting thing that I find from this is just that Stripe has been participating. I think I agree with you. Um, 
Yeah, I I want to know what the investors know that we don't with a $2 billion valuation. Mm-hmm. Um, not to be rude, but I literally have never met a startup that uses ramp instead of Brex. So I, I don't know. Yeah, and I think, you know, I haven't either. I think they are targeting different types of companies than what Brex is, probably because Brex sort of owns that startup market. Mm. Um, and from my understanding, talking to Eric, one of the co-founders, um, a, a while back when he was, we met up for breakfast before COVID and he was sort of explaining their story and whatnot to me, um, was that the main enticing thing for them is just their ability to help companies save money. This is expense management system can make sure you're not having multiple people paying for certain like software accounts and tying that all in together and just going through all of your expenses and making sure there's no waste and you're saving as much money as possible. Like for a lot of companies that pays for the, the product itself. Plus right. some. Yeah, no, that's actually, that's what I was just thinking. Like it must be something on the expense management side that is either about to be released or has been released. Um, excited to see what that is because that is definitely a pain point for startups as I am learning very quickly. <laughs> totally. Other than that, I mean, they have a lot of the um, the same products and features as what Brex does, where you can get rewards on the cards that your employees are using, like makes it so it's very easy for your employees to use the credit card versus a lot of the terrible expense management features of um, uh, a larger company when they're usually to use their systems. I remember at Bloomberg, it was such a pain in the butt to use the one that they used. I can't remember what it was called at this point, but it it was not a fun experience filing your expenses at the end of the month. Um, and it also makes it so a lot of the startups that um, are just getting going, the founders will use their uh, their own personal card to buy a lot of things. And that can get you into a lot of trouble. So being able to have this corporate credit card um, makes it a lot more enticing for them. And I'm, I'm looking at their website now to see some of the, the companies that use them. Um, even Row Health, Better Mortgage, um, those are three that they Very mentioned right portfolio. away. Uh, yeah. Oh, Mode, Elbert, Rocket Lawyer. But these are also ones like I've heard of them, but I don't know that I know that many people that work at them. So this would also explain why I haven't seen anyone with um, a ramp card either. Oh, Clubhouse uses it. That That's why they raised the funding. Like Clubhouse is going to the moon. So, you know, might as well make ramp yeah. going to the moon, too, if Clubhouse <laughs> is using their credit card. <laughs> yeah, it's... um. Yeah, it seems like they're playing for the bigger startup space with with Better and Rocket and Clubhouse. Yep. Not they're not doing the the early boys. Right, and those are all companies that would definitely have um some software expenses in areas where Ramp could help them save money, I would think. Yeah, absolutely. Um so, next topic, final one. And I'm glad we have like eight, we have like 8 minutes to discuss this one. So, that's good. I want to spend extra time here. So when you used to make a trade on Robinhood, there used to be a bunch of confetti that would go around and everything. And when Robinhood and this whole GameStop Reddit fiasco happened earlier this year, regulators made a point like, dude, it's so gamified. Like they put up confetti when you make a trade. Like that's just increasing the odds that someone wants to do a trade and making it feel like some weird game. 
um, there's no more confetti. They got rid of it. <laughs> yeah. Um, so usually, I mean, you know me, Julie, like usually I'm like design really matters. Design has to be intentional. Design has to be, um, has to flow you through processes in a way that feels seamless and like work with you. Right. Like, you know, that I'm all about that. I think this is stupid. <laughs> I think this is dumb. Like I kind of get it, I guess, but it's not the confetti. That's the problem. And I think we can all agree that it's not the confetti. That's the problem. Oh, totally. I just love how symbolic it is. I know, <laughs> I, but I like the, like, what do you call it? Like haptics when you make a trade on Larbin hood that it's like, I love I don't need the confetti, but I like having mm-hmm. that. So I know that the trade was confirmed or sent or whatever. Um, but yeah, I kind of, I kind of think that's like barking up the wrong tree. <laughs> I don't know. What do you think? I mean, I just find it hilarious <laughs> that like they actually got rid of it. And like, I wonder if Congress is, like, if it's going to make any difference on how Congress used them. It definitely doesn't make it any worse, but is it really going to improve how Congress feels about Robin Hood and the gamification um, more broadly? I don't, eh, that's kind of TBD in my, in my opinion. Like, I think it's hilarious and a fun talking point to say, oh my God, they got rid of the confetti. That's too funny. They've had it since the start. It was like their thing to make it fun and millennial and Gen Z style. And now it's gone. Yeah. So. I get really worried when Congress gets involved with technology after the, do you remember the Facebook hearings? Like senators kept being like, can I WhatsApp a Facebook? And Mark Zuckerberg was like, those are two different things. Um, I get really concerned because I'm like, I remember one of the questions was like, can I email a WhatsApp? (laughs) And Mark was like, Uh, (laughs) but I like it was the same thing so I was at Bloomberg when those Facebook Libra hearings were happening Mm -hmm. and just the cryptocurrency questions that everybody was asking and any of those things whenever Congress does a hearing it's just it's not the conversations aren't happening there they're happening behind the scenes before and after there and the actual event that we're watching on TV reading about in the press the day of is just for them to appease their constituents it's nothing more they just want to make a point they want to be loud they want to be heard etc yeah i just like i find it frustrating because regulation i've said this a million times about robin hood regulation is absolutely needed and we absolutely need to like try to understand the real problems behind gamifying finance generally um but congress just puts on this like little show and it's supposed to be cute and I'm like okay so we got rid of the confetti do you feel better now because i don't yeah do you think so let's let's widen this out a little bit do you think them getting rid of the confetti changes anything else for fintech startups because gamification is a thing mm-hmm. there's both in my opinion good gamification and bad gamification the stuff like the confetti falls under bad gamification, in my opinion. There's good gamification, though, where they teach you about savings. They teach you about good financial behavior. There's social aspects to it. And those types of things all fall under the good side. And I think 
I think more broadly that companies are going to now start looking towards more of those good ways to use gamification versus the bad. So I don't think gamification is going away. I just think it's changing. Yeah, I think you're probably right. Um, I kind of class the confetti as neutral, like totally neutral gamification. It's the problem with Robinhood is that it inherently always feels like gambling and it's not the confetti that makes it feel like gambling. And they want you to feel like you're gambling. Well, okay. So what about someone like a Schwab though? Why doesn't, or do you think that feels like gambling too? If it doesn't, why doesn't it compared to Robinhood? I don't use Schwab. I use Vanguard. (laughs) Every time I trade on Vanguard. Same same style though. Yeah. It's got like absolutely no vibe, you know, like every time I like put in an order on Vanguard, it's like, okay, you did it, bitch. And I'm like, okay, thank you. I guess like, for holding this you're welcome for my money like i would like a little bit of a good job <laughs> cokes you did a nice job um yeah otherwise it, it like when i trade on schwab um it doesn't give me any sort of like it gives me a little check mark like okay your order has been placed like we'll let you know when it's executed that's what public does too i'm pretty sure i think public just like is like yeah okay you did it and i'm like okay thank you that's nice of you to say but I, I do wonder, like, now that everybody offers free trading and whatnot, I wonder what makes it so Robinhood feels so, like, gambling-ish versus Schwab. Because I actually think that they both kind of do. I just think Robinhood attracts a different kind of trader that doesn't have as much money to lose and is willing to take bigger bets for whatever reason with, like, their three times levered call options and shit. Right. I I don't really know what it is, but I'm going to say like pretty definitively it's not the goddamn confetti (laughs) (laughs) that we can both agree on that is true it's hilarious that they got rid of it but it is definitely not going to solve the the gambling problem but i will say like whenever i trade on schwab like and i place an order it feels like gambling a little bit because i'm doing it based on like these theses in my head like i bought home depot a while ago because i'm like you know what people are buying homes people are remodeling their homes because they're gonna stay at home more etc. So I have a thesis behind it, but it was a little bit of a gamble because if people would have gone broke, they wouldn't have had money to buy homes, right? Right. But like it, trading in general is a sense of gambling. It's just whether it's educated gambling versus non-educated gambling. Yeah, trading is is gambling with a better upside. That's like a less immediate yes. but a longer term upside. That's literally all we're doing here. And Mm-hmm. Yep. I think the only time trading isn't gambling is when you're doing like a 401k or retirement account cut type thing. That's that in my then, mind gets away. Even then it is a little bit, but it's so much less so than going through and picking stocks. Yeah, I think you're probably right. The way I trade is totally gambling because I admittedly love to gamble. So I know myself and for me, trading is very much gambling, <laughs> but I try to be like not chaotic about it. You can go check out Koki's trades on public too. There's the social aspect to it. So you can see what she's doing on there, see how much gambling she's doing and if she's good at it or not. I don't know what's <laughs> going on right now, but I, I'm getting like a thousand followers a day on public. Um, so I hope you guys like love that I'm chaotic about what I buy. <laughs> <laughs> what's your name on there? Is it just your name? It's literally at Koki. I have the best username on any profile I've ever had on public, which is why oh I love God. it so much. That's amazing. That's amazing. All right. Well, we are at time. 
I'm so glad our internet worked this time. I know. We, we tried this once. We got into the first question and our internet went to shit. So I think we're good this time. Uh, thank you so much for joining me. We we did not hear Tux. He barked in the first one, but not in the second one. He decided to to be quiet for you guys. I literally But uh, I will see you him, again. Yeah, I know. He's sitting right next to me curled up into the ball for those that, that cannot see this. Um, but that is it for today. I will see you again next time with my co-founder, Ian Carr, once again. Koki, thank you for joining us. Thanks and for having travel. me. Yeah, good luck with the move. Bye, Tux. Love you, baby. Thank you.